half-brothers emigrated to England and settled in Manchester, while the rest of the family put down permanent roots in Vienna, centre of the empire. At this time, Vienna was pervaded with anti-Semitism, and it is significant that although the family were far from orthodox, Freud always felt Jewish to the core. Nearly all his friends would be Jewish, and without becoming involved in the religious aspect, he had a strong sense of being in what he called the opposition. He became used to the feeling of isolation, first in an ethnic group, and later as one man fighting for the acceptance of his radical theories. Having learned early on to be tough and not to give up, he never forgave his father when he told his twelve-year-old son how a Gentile had knocked his new hat into the mud and shouted, Get off the pavement, Jew! The boy was furious and asked, What did you do? I stepped into the gutter and picked up my hat, was the answer. And Sigmund never forgot the shock of that moment when his father had let him down. However, no effort or sacrifice was spared to give him the best education possible, in spite of the family's poverty, with the result that he entered high school a year early, at the age of nine. He learned seven languages, including Greek, Latin and Hebrew, and received a thorough grounding in the classics, which he had always enjoyed, having started to read Shakespeare at the age of eight. I was at the top of my class for seven years, enjoyed special privileges, and was required to pass scarcely any examinations. Although we lived in very limited circumstances, my father insisted that, in my choice of profession, I should follow my own inclinations. Neither at that time nor indeed in my later life did I feel any particular predilection for the career of a physician. I was moved rather by a sort of curiosity, which was directed more towards human concerns than towards natural objects. Nor had I grasped the importance of observation as one of the best means of gratifying it. My early familiarity with the Bible, at a time almost before I had learnt the art of reading, had, as I recognised much later, an enduring effect upon the direction of my interest. Under the powerful influence of a school friendship with a boy rather my senior, who grew up to be a well-known politician, I had developed a wish to study law like him and to engage in social activities. At the same time, the theories of Darwin, which were then of topical interest, strongly attracted me, for they held out hopes of an extraordinary advance in our understanding of the world. And it was hearing Goethe's beautiful essay on nature, read aloud at a popular lecture just before I left school, that decided me to become a medical student. In fact, a middle-class Viennese Jew had only commerce, law, industry or medicine to choose from. More interested in human nature than in curing the sick, he was inevitably drawn to the work of Charles Darwin. The Origin of Species had been published in 1859, revolutionising man's conception of man. Up until then, man had always been considered as totally separate from the rest of the animal kingdom, because he had a soul. Once it was shown that man had common ancestors with the apes, for instance, he became just another type of animal, and could therefore be studied scientifically with other life forms, differing from them only in complexity. This was a huge step, but the principles were gaining widespread acceptance by the time Freud was ready to graduate from high school in 1873. One year after the origin of species, the German philosopher-scientist Gustav Fechner showed that the mind could be studied and measured scientifically, 
This was the foundation of the science of psychology. At that time, there were far fewer people working in scientific research than nowadays, and individual names had a profound effect on the public at large. Pasteur and Koch, who, with their work on the germ theory of disease, laid the foundations of bacteriology. Mendel, who had formulated theories on genetics, while the second half of the 19th century saw the main work of the Curies, Kelvin, Planck, Hertz and Maxwell, culminating in the theories put forward by Einstein. The German physicist Hermann von Helmholtz taught that every form of energy is a quantity which cannot be destroyed. It can only disappear from one part of the system to reappear elsewhere. For instance, when something cools, then whatever surrounds it will become warmer. This dynamic model of energy inspired exciting new discoveries in thermodynamics, the electromagnetic field, radioactivity, the quantum theory, and the world.